Hello, I'm Eugene Chausovsky, a senior Eurasia analyst at Stratfor, and this podcast is brought to you by Stratfor Worldview, the world's leading geopolitical intelligence platform. Individual, team, and enterprise memberships are available at worldview.stratfor.com slash subscribe. Hello and thank you for joining us for this edition of the Stratford podcast, focused on geopolitics and world affairs from Stratford.com. I'm your host, Ben Sheen. As the Russia-West standoff heats up, the concept of hybrid warfare has emerged as a particularly relevant topic, and it's the focus of a new series of analysis on Stratford Worldview. In this episode of the Stratford podcast, I sit down with senior Eurasia analyst Eugene Chalsovsky to explore the context behind Russia's hybrid war strategy, which countries are impacted, and what tools Russia can leverage for each of them. Thank you for joining us. Eugene, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Well, I guess a good place to start before we really get into the depths of uh, Russia's hybrid war strategy is to take a look at hybrid war itself. And really, what do we mean when we talk about hybrid war? So there's actually a number of different interpretations of what hybrid warfare means and what it entails. But for the purposes of our investigation into it here, I think we can look at it as a combination of a number of different warfare tactics, ranging from conventional warfare to irregular warfare to cyber and informational warfare. So it's basically using any one of or combination of all of these tactics within warfare or within competition between nation states. I think certainly one of the ways you can tell that this is still uh, evolving as a concept is that there's no one really clearly defined definition for what hybrid warfare actually is. But it seems to incorporate a lot of new and emerging technologies that, that simply weren't available to uh, to countries or even you know practitioners in, in previous decades. So Eugene, in your opinion, what do you think have been the real major drivers for Russia to adopt the, this new approach? The broader driving force uh, of Russia's use of hybrid warfare, I would say, is Moscow's standoff with the West, which has been going on for quite a long time. But as we've seen in recent weeks and months, it's really intensified. Uh, You have the ongoing conflict in Ukraine, which is driving tensions between the U.S. and Russia. And the U.S. has ramped up its sanctions against Russia, which is driving Russia to look for a number of different responses to the West. Now, we've seen Russia take some of the tit-for-tat responses, such as expelling hundreds of diplomats and closing some diplomatic compounds. Uh, But we've also seen Russia reference uh, this use of, quote-unquote, asymmetrical uh, warfare or an asymmetrical response to what the U.S. is doing. So it's the broader tensions between the U.S. and Russia and between Russia and the West as a whole that's driving these hybrid tactics. So clearly Russia has embraced this whole idea of asymmetry, which is in many ways using the right tool for the right job. And they've kind of rewritten their playbook in this, uh, factoring in new new elements um, that have only recently come come to the the fore, such as, you know, a cyber capability or employing unconventional tactics on the ground and doing things that are simply unexpected. Um, How have we seen this kind of play out in the, the international realm, Eugene? One thing to note here is that hybrid warfare is certainly not a new strategy by any means. I mean, it's been used for hundreds, if not thousands of years by different players. Uh, But as you mentioned, Ben, the evolving technologies has really opened up some of the tools that Russia has used in its toolkit. So, for example, uh, cyber warfare has become increasingly used by Russia. And, And things like information and propaganda, disinformation techniques, has really been ramped up by Russia because they really don't have the kind of conventional 
power capabilities, the power projection capabilities that they used to have in the Soviet period. So we've seen this now play out. Obviously, a huge example of that has been in the in the U.S. election in which, you know, Russia was linked to uh, cyber attacks and hacking efforts on the, the DNC. And then now, even since the election of Trump, there's been a lot of disinformation and propaganda campaigns waged out of out of Moscow. Uh, but it's also taken a more conventional or semi-conventional component, as we've seen in Ukraine, where Russia responded to the Euromaidan uprising in Kiev. Instead of going full force to invade all of Ukraine, they, they went for specific targeted areas and used little green men or unmarked military personnel uh, in order to achieve its objectives, which were essentially to undermine the pro-Western government in Kiev and try to neutralize Ukraine and, and steer it away from the West. So there's a number of different things and a number of different targets that Russia uses within hybrid warfare. And I believe you had a, a lucky escape there, didn't you, Eugene? Because you're actually in Crimea shortly before uh, the Russian forces actually rolled in, weren't you? That's right. And and one thing that I could definitely see while I was there is that Russia used what was a very strong pro-Russian sentiment within the population in Crimea. And this was also the case to a lesser extent in eastern Ukraine to, to manipulate that sentiment and to use it to its advantage in order to foster things like paramilitary groups or uh, military takeovers. So th- when where that popular support is the strongest is where we see Russia's hybrid tools as the strongest and most effective. We'll get back to our conversation with Stratfor Senior Eurasia Analyst Eugene Chalsovsky in just a moment. But if you're enjoying the conversation, be sure to visit us at worldview.stratfor.com. That's where you'll find our new series exploring Russia's hybrid warfare strategy in depth, including pushback from the West and the broader implications for Russia's strategic position going forward. And if you're not already a Worldview member, individual, team and enterprise subscriptions are available at worldview.stratfor.com slash subscribe. We'll also include a link in the show notes. Now let's go back to the second part of our conversation on Russia's hybrid warfare strategy. As we know, just from looking at Russian geography, uh, you know, Russia has has some key imperatives here when it thinks about protecting its its uh, borders and its sovereignty. And we can certainly delineate between the influence that Russia can have often physically um, in its immediate borderlands compared with that, that it, that it exercises over its near abroad. And certainly Russia can now use some of some of these new tools to influence um, overseas and have this this global reach. Um, how does Russia's strategy really play out in these different spheres of influence, Eugene? That's a great question. And I think if you look at Russia's strategy, it, it definitely plays out in different ways, depending on the country or group of countries that you're talking about. So within the first tier of countries that we've outlined, which these are the countries that are most vulnerable to Russia's hybrid tactics, are countries in the immediate former Soviet periphery. So Ukraine, as we've already mentioned, but also countries like Moldova and Georgia, where Russia essentially has a full array of tools anywhere from covert or even overt military action to information propaganda warfare. Then as you kind of zoom out and look at the broader European landscape, you have countries like the Baltics, uh, Central Europe, Southern Europe, and even the Balkan states. And these countries, Russia doesn't have as much conventional military capabilities to use within its uh, hybrid warfare strategy, but it can really use other elements like economic restrictions. These countries are very dependent on Russian energy supplies. Um, And of course, you know, the information and and propaganda warfare, that's quite heavy in these countries as well. 
And then finally, you have the, the third tier of countries, which are the core Western states. So this includes Germany, France, and the United States. Now, these countries, Russia has very little economic leverage. Of course, you know, military action against these countries is pretty much unthinkable. But here's where political manipulation and cyber and disinformation really comes into play because Russia doesn't have that much um, in terms of the uh, of, of the conventional power capabilities here. It really ramps up and it really uses these techniques as much as it possibly can to undermine both the, the governments in these countries and their unity within each other within EU and NATO. I guess the question I have really is what are we going to see next? And, and I understand that's increasingly difficult because this is, uh, this is a new and developing strategy that we're still coming to terms with. Uh, I remember quite a few years ago studying in-depth Russian military tactics, specifically armored warfare, and it was all very succinctly laid out. You knew exactly what they were going to do. You knew how a motor rifle division would work, what you'd see, uh, their formations and their tactics. But this is new. This is something uh, we haven't really seen before. And what we're also seeing is that Russia is employing this on a case-by-case basis. There isn't just a standard cookie-cutter approach. So that makes it inherently hard to predict. Uh, But in your opinion, Eugene, how do you think we're going to see this uh, evolve in the near term and then certainly in the decades ahead? Well, as you mentioned, it's a, it's a very fluid process, and it's hard to have an exact idea of where this is heading. Uh, but one thing that we have seen um, on, a, on a higher level of things is that this Russian hybrid warfare strategy, it, it's not a one-sided game. And we've seen the West and pro-Western countries like Ukraine uh, really start to not only understand what Russia is doing, but even develop strategies of their own to, to counter Russia's hybrid warfare strategy. So, for example, we've seen the United States and we've seen other countries in the West develop their counter cyber capabilities. We've seen even counter propaganda uh, efforts between these countries and among them, looking at Russia's use of things like trolls and bots and hacktivists and really highlighting where Russia is spreading fake information and making sure that they're coordinating in these efforts together. Uh, and what we've actually seen play out over the last year or two is some of the the tactics that, that Russia has, some of its tools and its toolkit have become weakened over time since Russia has used them. One example of that is energy, which Russia has used for geopolitical purposes, uh, especially in Europe, where it has undermined countries that are acting outside of its interests by cutting off energy supplies. Clearly, that's happened in Ukraine, but also downstream countries in Europe. And we've seen a huge diversification effort by countries like the Baltic states, like Poland, and even Ukraine now, which have basically built LNG terminals or built built interpipeline connectors between these countries, and they've really diminished Russia's uh, use of energy as a, as a political tool. They're still dependent on Russia for energy, but they have other options, and that's weakened Russia's hand. We've also seen some of the economic restrictions that Russia has passed. That's been matched and even outdone by the West's own economic restrictions against Russia, which clearly we've seen in the U.S. sanctions, but also the EU has maintained its sanctions against Russia. That's put a lot of pressure on the Russian economy, and it's limited uh, their ability to really make the West feel the pain. So I think that what we're seeing now is is a pushback, a, a, a very concerted pushback by the West and by pro-Western countries like Ukraine, Moldova, and Georgia to to really fight back against Russia um, and 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 undermine as much as they can its use of these tactics that we've been discussing. So if we look kind of at a longer term, or if we take a a larger perspective on it, I think that 
while Russia has certainly had some big uh, successes and some some very uh, public victories, of course, the the U.S. elections and some very successful cyber attacks that it's pulled off. Ultimately, Russia's strategic position is actually weakening because usually these tools, while effective, usually create more costs to Russia down the line than they do benefits. And with Russia's demographic projections looking to weaken in the future, with its economy still under a lot of pressure and politically it's coming under pressure, I think that Russia in the coming years will will not be able to wield the kind of power projection that it has in the past, even as it adapts to, to evolving technologies. And this is all what makes the great game so uh, so intriguing. Uh, Eugene, thank you so much for taking the time to really go through uh, the Russian approach to hybrid warfare and certainly what we can expect. Thanks again for your time. Thank you. That concludes this episode of the Stratfor podcast. If you enjoyed today's conversation, be sure to catch our complete series on Russia's hybrid warfare strategy at worldview.stratfor.com. We'll include a link in the show notes. And if you're not already a member, be sure to subscribe for unparalleled insights on global trends now, coming forecasts, and future developments. Individual, team, and enterprise subscriptions are available at worldview.stratfor.com slash subscribe. If you'd like to contribute to the conversation, share your thoughts in our forum section on Stratfor Worldview to engage with our analysts, editors, and fellow subscribers. You can also leave us a comment or an idea for a future episode by email at podcast at stratfor.com or by phone at 1-512-744-4300, extension 3917. And don't forget to leave us a review. We really appreciate your feedback and your review also helps others discover the podcast. It just takes a few moments and you can leave a review on iTunes or wherever you subscribe to the podcast. And for more geopolitical intelligence, analysis and forecasting that brings global events into valuable perspective, follow us on Twitter at Stratfor. Thanks for listening. Thank you.